Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented and analytic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime, currently featuring Steven Universe, Miraculous Ladybug, and Archer, among others. I am Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ander. Hello. Today, Michelle and I will be discussing uh, the 2009 stop-motion film Coraline. Yay! Uh, the Leica... Uh, Henry Selleck directed film. Uh, we will be looking back on it, discussing uh, uh, opinions of the film, everything surrounding the movie. Uh, it's our first like uh, discussion, I believe, and we'll hopefully do the other, the other two of that. Few, yeah, yeah, very not, not that many to get into. Um, we talk about uh, animated shows and movies here at the Overly Animated Podcast. You can check us out at overlyanimated.com or search for the Overly Animated Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. So. Uh, Michelle and I both rewatched Coraline very recently too. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, I guess the, the way I like starting these retrospectives is, um, like, when did you first see this film? What did you think of it when you saw it? And, um, what did you think of it this time? Uh, cause we both recently rewatched it. So why don't you, uh, start us off with those, <laughs> that, that general area. Well, I I first found out about it because I, I think uh, the first time I read the book was maybe five or six months before the film was getting released. And I absolutely love the book. So, like, I immediately was, like, going online trying to find information and found out that this movie was getting close to being released. So I saw it in theaters in 3D, which um, wasn't nearly as terrible an experience as I had anticipated, I think, because like back in 2009, there wasn't like a surge of 3D movies at that point. And the last 3D movie I'd seen in 3D was like Spy Kids 3D. And uh, obviously this movie is much better than that movie. So I mean, that's that pretty was... insulting, Spy Kids 3D. I don't know about that. Oh, you like Spy Kids more? Or you think it's actually good? Uh, that was not a that was not a uh, statement that you should take any value from. Continue. <laughs> and uh, well, I I really I really liked it. I remember there there were a couple parts that um in terms of the three D is like kind of like all right like um the very beginning when um the hands are sewing the doll together and the needle like pokes through the button in the theater. It was like very, very like, Hey, look, like, <laughs> look at this needle. It's really poking out. And, um, the scene where, um, Coraline's, um, in the, by the roof and she's talking to Mr. Bobinski and he's like stretching out. And there's a scene where he like does the splits and his leg just kind of like really pops out. Um, that was, I remember that being like really, really 3d in the movie, but, um, I really liked it. I, I had my expectations pretty low because I, I liked the book so much and I was afraid of being disappointed and I, I really wasn't disappointed at all. I think they, they definitely stuck to the book really, really like to the point where like, like most of the dialogue was exactly the same and the scenes were very, very similar. So that, that was a really good experience first time around. And second, this past time. I've been rewatching. I think um, I've been noticing a lot more smaller moments. I have a lot more sympathy for YB, I think, now than I did the first time I watched it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, yeah, I, I feel really bad for YB now. Poor guy. So, but yeah, you're still, uh, so when you say you like it, like, what are we talking here? Like, <laughs> like, this is like a truly great film. This is a good film. What do you think? Uh I, I I consider it a classic, even though it's not that old. It does feel it, like like it's older yeah. than it is, and it's like classic territory, even though it's like sure. six years old, you know, seven years old. Yeah. 
I know there are a lot of people who think that because of this was like his first feature film and a lot of ways people are like, oh, well, like, you know, like Coraline was just like the precursor to like Paranorman, you know, like Paranorman's like a way more solid movie. And while I think Paranorman might be overall stronger, I think I, in, I like Coraline more, even though it's not, the plot can get a little all over the place, but I think it's kind of like a little gloriously messy in that sense. And it's just so it's so beautiful you know it just looks so good and the soundtrack is so good and the characters are like actual you know for stop motion like they they feel like such interesting real like characters with actual personalities you know and like the stop motion helps them like sh like express their whole like feelings with their body in a way that i think a lot of animation doesn't do um, so no i think it's definitely it's not my favorite movie but it's definitely like i'd say Top twenty, maybe top fifteen, favorite animated movies. Favorite animated movies. That was yeah. yeah. There's no designation there for a second. Um, <laughs> I feel like people's perception is I don't know. It, I I can't speak for for all. I feel like people consider this one like uh, kind of like a classic, more type that territory, and then the other two like films I feel like aren't as revered. Although I don't know. You know, it's I I, I could see I could see that right. Like if you're a lot like, of people like Paranorman. Yeah, I, I could but see. Box Tools is kind of more confusing. It's very different tonally, so I think that's part mm -hmm. of it. So I have not seen either of those yet. Like that's that's a thing. So I and I have also not read the Neil Gaiman novel. So um, although I've read other of his of his novels, I just never read Coraline for whatever reason. So I saw this movie. Not in theaters. I didn't even know it was in 3D. That was kind of crazy. Like, why is this movie in 3D? But I guess animated yeah. films are generally, I think, better 3D than than uh, live action films. Or at least there's there's the the steel the floor is low is higher than the than live action films. Like, you're never going to see an awful 3D 3D effects in an animated film. Hopefully uh, not. Yeah, you would you'd assume not. In a big um, budget like that, you'd hope not. Well, I don't even know if that's the budget. Sometimes they just tack it on at the end in these these big live. Yeah, that's how like the the 3D like the last two Harry Potter movies kind of felt. It's like, did this really need to be in 3D? Like, what did it add? Like, yeah. this movie wasn't centered around that. What where Coraline really was. And we're starting to die down a little bit from this 3D craze, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely a lot of films that uh, I could see Coraline being more of like an inherent 3D film. But um, I don't know. I feel like I was reading about the production on on uh on uh wikipedia and there wasn't a ton that was reliant on 3d there's a little bit here about how like the way they shot it i guess um yeah it it's actually like the the first feature film ever completely shot with 3d stop motion which is pretty i don't i don't well, know there's not that, that many yeah, that, yeah that, there's not many stop motion feature <laughs> films right so i don't know but uh, that, it's really interesting yeah that that is that is interesting and i guess it makes sense time wise yeah so that's pretty cool i haven't seen it in 3d so um i saw it probably like 2010 i like like on demand right uh yeah. the year after it came out i don't know if i ever saw i don't think i saw it in theaters and then i rewatched it now uh when i saw it originally I, I really liked it um and i don't even remember i mean that was that's long enough ago long that I, ago, I can't really yeah. trust my opinions on it <laughs> that's a, uh and not not that, that not that my opinions were bad six years ago it's just uh it gets, it's it's I, I feel like let's go let's go what i thought now i rewatched it today and i still I really liked it. I think this is a great film. Okay. Um, I think that uh, this is this to me is uh, what I would group as kind of like an experiential film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I would agree with there's that. I'm very I'm much more forgiving of movies uh, plot wise if I like feel something watching them. I don't mm -hmm, know. Yeah. If like they're going to get lost, but you feel OK with it. I think that that can be a strength of a movie, not a weakness. 
Yeah, like to me, I don't know. One to me, one of the ultimate ones is like Interstellar. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh yeah, I have. Like that movie is awful plot wise, especially <laughs> then. But I really, I really it's like it because it's such an yeah. experience. Yeah, and I don't think Coraline is awful plot wise. I just think it's like okay plot wise. Um, yeah. But tonally, it's incredible. And um, I've, I've, I guess maybe Nine is the only thing I've seen somewhat similar. Tonally, maybe that's not close, but um, I'm just trying to think of anything that's elicited similar feelings from me. And I, I just I really think that this kind of nails it um, with like this creepy, but like uh, I don't even know how to describe it. We can get into we can get into that, but um, it's just it's really good. I feel like this movie doesn't have an expansive script and it knows that. Um I don't think it's important why the details of this secondary world or anything like that. I don't think that it matters. Um, I actually think that there's a lot of parallels to Spirited Away um, with this film. And um, both like in plot and in... Yeah, and in, and in like like both films are like <laughs> we have the real world and then we go off into this uh, other world in the in the conditions of uh, whatever. And then um, I and also... Both the protagonist like maturing being like her also, big story yeah. arc too yeah for young, sure young girls like coming of age type stories and um also like i i think spirit away also does not have um the the most sensical script i actually think spirit away script is very strong but i don't think it's like supposed to make sense and then um i think that the big reason both are great films and i think spirit away is a few tiers above this one but still this is still very good is that uh just they both just feel like you're going on such a journey, like mm-hmm. maybe even compared to uh, any other, I, I, like we could, I feel like these are two of my top like journey films to a certain extent. I think Spirit Away is more of a journey than this. This is more of just like an experience, but um, that type of thing, you know? So I, I, I definitely thought of parallels this time watching it. Um, but yeah, I think this movie is very good and I don't necessarily think it's because of character or plot reasons, although the characterization is, is fine. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I don't know. Always liked this film. Always thought this was very good. And, uh, like, artistically, it's very impressive. Um, I just think that that's doing, like, we'll definitely get into that. But, like, th- that's the big reason why I feel like the film succeeds on a kind of tone and uh, emotional level is just because of how it's able to execute its, like, set pieces and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I just think I think it's very successful and... Um, and I kind of like, I don't know, I haven't seen their other two films, but I hope that I I would hope that more animated films try to go door, go towards this route, because I feel like this is something kind of unique to animation. Um, not necessarily, but like just doing things, uh, that you can do through whatever animated form you want to take, um, to elicit certain types of things that would be more difficult to do live action. I feel like that's a great thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I really, yeah, I really admire this film on that level, too. Um, okay, I don't know. Where do we want to start here when going when going through Coraline? So uh, let's talk about uh, the, I don't know, let's talk about the other world, I guess. Um, when I was when I was thinking of of this film, I was like, what do I remember? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was these kind of just fantastic uh like fantastical uh, set pieces types things. Like I definitely remember the garden in the other world um, mm-hmm. that definitely stood out in my memory. Uh, maybe like the image of, um, of the Mr. Bobinski, like 
going towards the camera, right? Like that type. Of- oh yeah, I'm just doing his like flips and stretches. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like what stands out from the film is are those types of uh, like weird, great visuals. What What do you What mm-hmm. else do you think is uh, do you, do you like take away from the film? Is to I mean to a certain extent everything, right? But like especially what stands out. I think the things, especially the first time around, um, when I had a much less like critical eye, I think, uh, or maybe just less trained eye, I, I was always like, how did they like do this? You know, like w- even things like when Coraline would like shake the snow globe and you see like the snow falling down, it's like that snow is in stop motion, but it, it looks like it's in a water globe. Like, how do they do that? It, the scene when she, um, YV's looking for banana slugs and there's like this fog everywhere and it's beautiful like the set is just beautiful it's just like how do they do stop motion fog you know like those are the kind of things I was really taken aback by or like when uh Coraline would be walking um like at the beginning when she comes out of the house and you just have that camera like pull up and you see like all these hills and like all these trees and she's just walking through this whole world like it's so intricate and I think that's one of the things that the film did so well it made its world completely believable and realistic and nobody ever felt flat you know which can be really easy to do in animation so it it was a very cinematic movie I think um that's one of the things you were pointing out to, like that garden scene where like all the flowers are blooming and you have that great overhead shot when the, she's flying with um, her other father on the robotic Priamantis helicopter thing. <laughs> and you just like see all the flowers blooming into her face and it's just like a gorgeous shot, you know, and it it's so well done. Very visually stunning. I think that was one of the things I always kind of was just like, how do they make this happen? This is gorgeous. Like just how kind of feeling. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, I don't know. Do you do you agree with my assessment that like what stands out to you from the film is definitely more, uh, you know, more visual and uh, or more just and it could you could include like mute sound and stuff, too, in it uh, rather than the plot or characters? Or do you think maybe or would you separate characters from that statement? And maybe it's like character plus, uh, you know, non plot or I don't, what, what do you think of that? I think, well, the characters are, like, such a huge part of the story. I think for for me now, at least, um, the visuals are kind of like the icing on top of the cake. Like, they add so much, but the story can't just look beautiful. It has to be a solid story, and it has to have, you know, people were invested in watching and have them grow and change. And I think, ultimately, like, Coraline herself is such a interesting like cool character like she's uh she in a lot of ways she feels very much like a real little girl she's not she she's kind of like snobby to wivy and she she knows how to be annoying on purpose to her parents when she feels like they're neglecting her and she she has a very like strong sense of self and the way even like the way they make her walk and she kind of like slouches a little or like walks like wobbles kind of back and forth kind of freely it's very it's very expressive and i think all the animation does a a great service to showing us what her characterization is like before she even says anything which is really really great and uh it and a great thing that um like has been able to do i think as a company continuing on with their other films too yeah yeah getting more into the character of Coraline, i feel like she's like the I mean, we can talk briefly about the other characters, but this is definitely her movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely think like she's like a realistic characterization. That's like one of the things that most stands out to me. Yeah. Uh, um, and I also think it's like 
notable, uh, not- notably realistic. I don't know. <laughs> uh, her, like her, even her, her does like her design is pretty unique, but um, wh- I-, I feel like it's a subtle characterization. Um, probably it's either subtle or weak. I feel like, <laughs> but um, I don't think like like I said, I don't really care what this movie is doing too much character plot wise but that being said if we were going to evaluate one thing from the two of those that would stand out i think it would be Coraline's character do you think that like so we you, you mentioned her going on like a uh like a kind of more somewhat of a coming of age type thing i don't know if i said that or you said that but um what do you think that she like goes on an, a, an arc a character arc in this film and like if so, like, do you think where do you think she ends up? Because I, I feel like this movie is definitely not necessarily trying to have like huge standout morals. Yeah, for uh, sure. Which I think is Much a good thing subtle. with its with its tone. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, what what do you think of Coraline's character arc? Well, I, the first time I watched it, I kind of like wasn't sure what the arc was because it was so subtle. And even this time, I really had to kind of think for a second. And I think. There's kind of two morals. Like, I think on the most easy to pick out moral is, like, don't, like, if you get everything you want, you don't really want it anymore. Like, there's something to be said for having, like, the gratification of earning something. And that's shown a lot through how when Coraline goes to the world, like, it seems really perfect, but it's also, like, all a ruse, you know, and it's pretty substantialist. Um, whereas she, she, and she takes a lot of, cause like part of the thing about the movie that's different from the book is in the book, like they, she only really goes to the other world like once and then tries to escape. And then she finds out that her parents have been taken and then yeah. she has to like go on her quest. Um, but in the movie, they stretch it out to like, uh, two or three times she visits and she gets to go home fine and nothing bad happens to her. And I think that was kind of a good choice because, one, they have to, like, you know, stretch out this pretty short story. I think the book was about only 160 pages long. Um, and um, it, it, it feels more believable that she'd, like, have a good experience and want to go back a couple times and immediately be like, okay, this isn't for me. Um, but um, she, the parents are, I, I know a lot of people seem to take issue with, like, especially the mom. She seems, like, very neglectful and, like, isn't around for Coraline to, like, hang out with and that she's like not a good mom and I totally disagree with that and I think part of the the other moral is that like you know people people still love you you know and they might not always be there like when you want them to they might not always be accessible but that doesn't mean that they don't really love you and that um people that might be around like all the time might not always have your best interest heart, which is definitely true in the case of the other mother and, you know, her reasoning for wanting Coraline around and the fact that her parents, they are, you know, they have moments. And I think part of the issue is like, um, a big part of their whole part in the movie is that they're, they're like rushing to get this garden catalog out and they're super stressed about it. So it's not so much that they don't care about Coraline. They just like have this time crunch, you know? And at the end of the movie, when, um, they finally come back after being released from the snow globe. I'm like, okay, like we're going to go out and celebrate tonight. So like, you know, like it's gone well, like they're getting like their money from the catalog. They can go buy real food now. Um, and like, it just like, it feels like a, a pretty realistic kind of issue you'd have, especially if you're like an 11 to maybe 13 year old girl 
and you you just feel like super bored and your parents are busy but like they're busy for real reasons like and it's not gonna obviously they're not always that busy it's just like because this catalog has to get out so that was pretty realistic and I think that was kind of a nice moment you don't see that often just like you know even if people aren't perfect maybe that's better because like you still know they genuinely care about you and things that seem perfect might not be or might be for all the wrong reasons yeah I I definitely think that I I found the parents portrayal pretty realistic Um, and I I don't think it's super valid to say any sort of like neglectful thing Um, although it does like the first half of the film it maybe comes comes something akin to that like across because we're seeing things so much through Coraline's perspective Mm -hmm. but the thing that stood out to me was especially um, like the the whole sequence when they're going shopping for her uniform and yeah. back. She said she definitely seems very nice caring. little scene. Yeah. Like I, I, that definitely warmed me up to the, her mom character a lot more. Um, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of realism with the, with the parents portrayal. Um, yeah. Getting, continuing with the Coraline's character. Um, I guess let's bring in Dakota Fanning's uh, voice performance. Yeah. For sure. I think, I don't know. I feel like usually, you can like tell it's Dakota Fanning, but this, I feel like she's like the most in disguise here. Like, I think it's not obvious that it's her. Yeah, it's not distracting at all. And I think she was about like 15 when she recorded. So she wasn't a ton older than Coraline was probably supposed to be, which might have helped. Yeah. And I really enjoy her like Midwestern accent because like whenever <laughs> yeah, she yeah. says words like back, it's like very like, pati- and like that's just kind of a nice like, because t- I guess she's uh, originally Coraline was from Michigan and she moved to. Um, Oregon yeah. in the movie, um, so it would make sense that she'd have that kind of. And then yeah, draw. and then when she's in the other world, and then like her friends speak in the picture, and she's like, oh yeah, <laughs> a couple of trolls, and like yeah, so it was like, oh yeah, that was so nerdy. That's really nice. Like Coraline's kind of a little nerdy and a little weird. Oh uh, yeah, why, I also feel like yeah. it's supposed to be like a stereotypical like uh, like Midwestern Michigan accent. It's a pretty interesting seeing Dakota Fanning try that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she, I think they did great with this. Uh, I think it was like a really subtle performance. Um, it, I, it like to me, this is one of those like where the voice just feels like inseparable from the character. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you even judge? Cause it's just like, okay, that is Coraline's voice. Like it just sounds so much like her. Um, Dakota Fanning, another notable voice work performance for me was when uh, she was the, one of the leads in the dub of my neighbor Totoro. And I think she was really great in that too. And she's even younger oh, in that. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing other voicing credits on her, on her, uh, resume here um a lot of them went from when she was younger though so yeah definitely great work there i mean other i don't know other notable uh like uh voice actors in the film terry hatcher i guess was the other main yep, performance for right sure. you had like uh pretty just dis- uh differing roles uh with um the two moms there and then um i guess i think chad hodgman was good as the father i liked uh Keith David as the cat. I, mm-hmm. I recognize oh, his voice now. It's like, oh, that's Keith David. <laughs> Just like, that's <laughs> how he talks. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about the book for a little bit. Cause you, you mentioned a brief oh, yes. talking about Coraline's character. So I've not read this. You've read this. Um, I know that from reading the Wikipedia article, one of the notable things is that the YB character was not in the book. Um, how does your perception of Coraline change? Like when reading the book and seeing the movie, like is her arc more defined in the book or like, how is it like just seeing like here? I assume it's like her internal monologue. A lot of the, the, yeah, that's exactly why YB was brought in. I imagine because they couldn't have her just like talking to herself or like internally monologuing, 
um, the whole film, which is like a thing that happens a lot. I yeah. Think, so with, how, um, yeah, so how did her monologue go in the in the book? Well, just she, she, I think the, the big difference between the Coraline in the book and the Coraline in the movies, that the Coraline in the book was um, a bit more sensible from the get-go. Like, because um, like the Coraline in the movie has to kind of be seduced over several visits to really like love this other mother and like think that she's great because she has the conversation with the cat where he's like, like, why like you don't know all you think you know about like the other one she's like we're talking about she's amazing and i don't think the Coraline in the book would ever have said that i think as soon as she realized that something was super off about that world and everything was just uncomfortable and the fact that everyone had like button eyes she kind of wanted to get out of there you know um and at the end when she um has to get rid of the key she she like kind of immediately knows something's wrong and she like has this whole scene where she um she like gathers up all of her dolls and like um a disposable tablecloth and she like very loudly proclaims she's like okay I'm like gonna go take this key and have a tea party like la 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 and um she like sets it up so she puts like the tablecloth and she sets like all the dolls around the well on top of the tablecloth like waits and she sets the key like very carefully in the middle and waits for the hand to just like pounce on it and then it like shoots down into the well and it's kind of taken care of and in the book she's just kind of like oh gotta get rid of this key and just like kind of walks around and doesn't like even know about the hand and it almost like strangles her to death as it tries to like bring it back to the house and Wybie's the one who kind of ends up saving her so those were the two biggest differences I think Coraline was a little more intuitive and maybe had like slightly more like agency but like she I don't think like her agency is something that's really compromised at all for the majority of the film and that's like one of the things I really appreciate yeah I mean I I, I had like brief thoughts like when she was doing her game at the end of her that she was mm-hmm. like being given everything um, yeah that, but then it was like pretty quickly rectified because like the the climax she had to do like everything right so I don't think that was a huge a huge deal right yeah um yeah let's yeah I, I was talking about the other mother for a little bit uh I, I think we were i think that we should have mentioned like the scenes at the end with um like at the very end with her trying to escape and like her continuous transformation of something like more horrific mm-hmm. as like one, definitely one of the standout visuals from the film and uh for uh yeah for uh, how do you so i was kind of struck this this viewing about how like quick everything is at the end like that, I think that was kind of interesting. So I guess it's uh, like it's distinct enough to be to leave that much of an impression in such a short time. How did you think they handled uh, just kind of the devolving of um, like the other mother into into this thing and like her presence at the end of the film? It. I mean, I think a uh, part of the a lot of people. It seems to be that they they felt like the the pacing of the Coraline movie was always a little off, and they always thought that the majority of the film should have been like Coraline trying to find the lost souls of the dead children, whereas it's actually mostly like her like exploring the house in the beginning, and um, like going downtown with her mom to get her school uniform. And um, visiting the other mother a couple times, but uh, yeah, the ending is a little quick. the The scene with the the house kind of unraveling into a spider web was completely a movie thing, and I think it, it's kind of like one of those parts that's like, okay, like I see why you're doing this. Like, so it feels like it 
she it's like one more trial final trial she has to get through before she like finally gets home um one thing i really appreciated was um the the fact that it, it it was like so much like a spider web and like the other mother during her transformation turns into like such a long angular spindly figure and she has like four six legs by the end of it she really does look like mm-hmm. a spider and that is such an interesting in terms of just like the whole fact that that opens up how her the whole other world is kind of like this very meticulously crafted spider web made specifically to appeal to Coraline to ensnare her, you know, for the other mother, um, which is really interesting. And so in that case, like the fact that she looks so much like a spider makes a lot of sense. Um, and the other mother character, so I don't, they call her a bell dam and it yeah. took me a while. So like, is that like a thing? Apparently that's just another name for a witch. Um, and um, one line that always really struck me was when she, Coraline's walking with the cat and she's trying to find the souls. And the cat says, because um, Coraline's like, what, what does she even want with me? And the cat says, well, she probably wants something to love yeah. or something to eat. It's yeah. hard to tell with her <laughs> kind. And that was really, I'm like, something to love. Like, why would a witch want something to love? And I was thinking back, because like if the, the other world isn't that big, you know, Coraline walks through the whole thing and it, it's a really awesome sequence where the trees become less like trees, which is like one of those things in the book that I think they did really, really well visually in the film. Like you see the trees become more just like abstract shapes and finally dissolve into just like wires and everything. And so she walks around the whole world and, you know, maybe part of the reason the bell dam like, has because she she's kind of all alone you know in a way like i know the beldam's like she doesn't need a lot of sympathy she's kind of a irredeemable character but she's all alone in this world she she kind of exists and that's all fake and her only real company are these puppets that are like semi-sentient that she made herself so i think maybe part of the issue is that she 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 does want somebody else there, but she doesn't know, like, the right way to love. Like, her love is so smothering and oppressive and all-consuming that she, she kind of just, like, absorbs the children and leaves them as these, like, little husks of, you know, she, she takes their souls away. You know, there's, like, nothing of them left. Um, and that scene where she puts Crow in the mirror and you see, like, the remnants of the ghosts. And they're so frail and just sad-looking. It's just, like, kind of horrific to think that the Beldam could do that to them, but also it's really intriguing to think like, well, what's her intentionality? Was she literally just hungry or did she just like really go about loving them the wrong way and ended up consuming them completely? Yeah. I think it was not clear uh, what, mm-hmm. what like the, her intent, ultimate intent with Coraline was. Um, I, I, I like, I guess my impression is that she just wanted uh, some form of having her there and not like to kill Companionship. her. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's really interesting. And I was definitely, when you're talking about that, it's definitely reminded of a, a book I recently read, Shark, Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn, um, which is like completely not related except for maybe this concept of uh, uh, Munch, uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Um, what is that? In which a uh, caregiver um, like creates uh, abuse or problems with the person they're caring for so that they can like care for them more. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I've definitely seen that used a lot. And, you know, at the end, when, um, remember, because when Coraline finally gets to the door after, like, the crazy spiderweb scene, like, um, and the door is just, like, coming at her, you know, I thought that was really well done. And 
the the other mother is like screaming at her and she's like don't leave me like i'll die and yeah. she seems like so i'm like why is she so upset if she just like oh like oh snap like i my meal ran away like it seemed like so much more than that mm-hmm. and that's when i started thinking like what does it really mean to her to have somebody with her like is it really that like terribly crushing to have someone leave and maybe it is yeah i definitely i definitely see parallels between adora and sharp objects and the other mother here and uh yeah i think that's like it's a much more interesting characterization to have her as some type of uh like uh misguided is a not strong word for for what it is <laughs> yeah. but like uh some not not correctly channeling uh like desire for companionship yeah, or someone to care for execution yeah it's, it's, even if well-intentioned possibly even yeah right i think it's i think it's much them. more interesting to think of her characters from like a uh, a potential uh motives we could understand perspective um and yeah i think that uh potentially diagnosing her with munchinson syndrome by proxy is pretty interesting <laughs> i don't know if that's what we're going for here but it could be um you were also talking about the this uh, the scene towards the end where it like devolves into the house like devolves into a spider. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I really yeah I really enjoyed that watching it this time. Super stylistic and like um, uh, minimalistic um, in terms of the the way like it happens and uh, it, it it definitely stands out as a super striking visual thing. Uh, do you think it was like a, a, a net positive overall? Definitely a different. You said a difference from the book. Um, the spider web, see, it, it made sense because, like, in the book, Coraline, like, as soon as she gets the snow globe, she's, like, out of there, you know, she's mm-hmm. just, like, going through the door. In the movie, she just kind of stands there. Um, but it makes sense in the sense that, because, like, the, the other mother, one of the really interesting things about her world is, like, she, she clearly isn't, like, a hundred percent all the time. Um, and she she can't maintain that level of facade forever. So when the house starts to crumble, and like the fact that she her persona is changing, I don't think it's just that she doesn't care. I think she literally can't maintain like looking like Coraline's mom forever. Um, and um, by the time Coraline's like, okay, well if you're potentially gonna cheat, I'm gonna cheat you. She's like, all right, well that's it. Like like gloves off, and um, that's when like the floor collapses and the spiderweb thing happens. And in that sense, I think it it makes a lot of sense, like why that why the other mother would choose to do that in that case. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that character is is definitely interesting. But I also feel like uh, they're definitely much like everything in this film, pretty minimalistic with her her, mm-hmm. her characterization. Like I think you could definitely argue that um, like they could have done more with her, and it was pretty like thin what they did do and i feel like that applies to like every kind of every plot element which i think is kind of the point yeah because you're saying this is a movie that um is more like an experience than like particularly like really gung-ho about character arcs and they're they're there but i think they're definitely in the background and it's more just about experiencing the world so yeah that's okay (laughs) i mean i like if like if i was going to criticize element I could just list them off here and and I guess I will but they're like I don't think any of these are important I think like so mm-hmm. like, I think yeah. I think Coraline is characterized a little thin I think the other mother is characterized thin I think that um I think that the pacing is off at the end right um I think that uh the uh there's not enough explained about the mythology of the film and I, it's supposed to be fairy tale like but I also think that um there's a lot of elements that seem nonsensical if you start to think about them too much like even just the cat makes no sense um it's just uh it's uh everything like mythological wise is probably not there i think that the well uh is shoehorned into the 
beginning and then it's like oh we're going back to the well and it doesn't seem like there's any sort of um reason why we should other than that it was at the beginning of the film um i think that that stood out to me this time a little bit so um i think the well was definitely better incorporated into the book um but that's just like because like they they just be like it was one of those things like if you're a kid and like you're in a property where there's like this potential danger people just weren't like don't don't go around there like there's a well you could like fall and die it's really deep and it was always kind of this like looming thing in the background but it was never like quite as obviously yeah shoehorned in like it was in the film yeah i mean yeah these are these... one of those things that i don't think translated super well yeah i don't yeah, that that's definitely not one of the stronger elements and again these are all film criticisms of course and um yeah i just i think all of those are you know their movies are like major problems but in this movie i like really didn't care that i didn't know anything about the mythology i mean yeah i didn't either, oh an- really. another thing is that like i think it's a little bit silly that um everyone in the in the other world uh seems to like not want to cooperate with the other mother um and we never get any details on that and uh yeah i don't know it's just it, I think, once i started to think about that for anything more than like two seconds it's it stood out as like oh, we should i should have should have known more about that but I always assumed that was because um, they were, like, at least semi-sentient. Like, they were kind of their own people. Whereas they seem, they, like, they seem they, sentient, they could yeah. They would have, like, a feeling about something, and that's why they wouldn't want to hurt Corlin. But at the same time, like, she has enough control over them that they kind of have to. Why are they there? Why? <laughs> like, uh... Why are they there? Well, they're there for Coraline because everything's made to appeal to her. And, and the way the other mother decided to do that was to make... So you think those are functions of the other mother's creation? Like, she created them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In the other world. Because they all have buttons, so they're definitely her dolls. See, I think that... Um, I feel like that's extrapolating from um from what we were given in the film. Like, I like that explanation. I just didn't know if the film was presenting that. Because there's that whole plot about, like, the the doll. She finds the little doll that YB's mother mm-hmm. has had for, like, a long time. Um, being, like, the spy that the other mother made so she could, like, look at the children and see what's wrong in their life. Yeah. And then she would take that to make this better, like, seemingly perfect version in her world as, like, the ultimate trap to get them to want to stay with her. Um and um, they, I mean, as creepy as people say the film is, the book's definitely creepier. And I remember because um, the the garden was never a part of the book, but it looks great in the movie. And that's the first section where she's looking for the souls and she um has to go to the garden and they're all attacking her because of her, her seeing like stone she has in her pocket that the, um, the actress is downstairs like made out of like taffy or something. Um, and the other father's there on his, like, uh, mechanical thing. And it's, like, kind of, like, forcing her to attack him. He's saying, like, I don't want to hurt you. But, like, the other mother, like, is making me. What happens in the book is that she has to go down to, like, the cellar. And the other father's there. And he's just, like, this massive, like, slug thing. And um, the conversation he has with her is just, like, so uncomfortable. And he's basically, like, like I don't want to hurt you. But... I will because she she wants me to and like the longer you're down here the more chance there is that I'm hurt. and she has to like get it away from him the 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 trinket that has the soul of the first child in it and like she at one point she like rips out his eyes so he can't like he has to like listen for her which they kind of did actually at the end of the movie with um the other mother um climbing up like the spider web and um you can just like you just get this feeling that just like as reluctant as like this 
this puppet guy is to hurt her, he, like, absolutely will kill her if she's not, like, 100%, like, all the time while she's down there and gets out as soon as possible. And it was just this very, very uncomfortable, creepy moment, um, which um, I don't think was quite replicated as much in the movie, which, like, probably for good reason. I also know that the film was first gonna come out as live action and then they changed their minds like really quickly like this movie's gonna be way too scary for everyone if it's live action so we're gonna do animation um which i thought was always really funny because like i I couldn't imagine like um a pg version of this live action and still be like pretty truthful to the book because it's pretty creepy it's pretty creepy yeah i don't think they could replicate the specific tone yeah for sure um yeah i think it's interesting that I feel like this is the only way I could ever envision the story being made film wise. And like, it also coincides with like his first feature film. Um, And it just, and uh, like, and also Henry Selleck directing it. Like, I feel like this is like the only way (laughs) that Coraline is a thing is like these specific conditions. Um, Like, I just, I feel like this is a stop motion story. I don't know. Do you, do you, it's, I know nothing's like made. There's other things that um, have fallen into this category. Like uh, we covered the movie Anomalisa earlier in the year, which was a play first. But when you see it uh, as a stop motion film, it's like this obviously was going to yeah. be a stop motion film if it's going to be anything. So um, do, do, you, do you agree with that assessment that uh, could you see this as anything other than a stop motion film? I mean, I, I think I mean, I guess I could, but I don't think it would turn out very well because the thing about the stop motion um, I really like even, like, say, like, claymation, even though Coraline's not really claymation, they used wires, um, is that you you kind of have to, like, literally build the world. Like, mm-hmm. and that's why things like it does so well. Like, they're not, like, we're gonna just CGI everything. Like, who even cares? They build, like, these huge sets um, and then place, like, these tiny characters in it and rig up a camera and then, like, get, like three to four seconds of animation out like every day for like two to three years and it's just like so much commitment but it pays off because it looks so good and like what better way to bring a world to life than to have like this interactive space for your characters to live in you know like you never feel like it's like really fake you know in the movie and that was something I appreciated in um the curse of the were-rabbit movie too yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, but like yeah. again, like they use all these like big sets, and it makes it just it makes the world so believable, um, and so real and lifelike, um, and that I don't think I think that'd be really hard to do in live action, just because you know the it's such a kind of dreamy fantastical story. You'd really have to commit, and the budget would probably be stupendously bigger to get the same effect that you could in stop motion. Yeah. So it probably is like the perfect medium for this kind of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're, yeah, we're aware of it. Somewhat similar in a lot of aspects to to this. Let's talk about Henry Selleck briefly, who directed uh, Nightmare Before yes. Christmas and James and the Giant's Peach before this. Um, yeah, and re- I was reading a little bit about um, how like he was talking to Neil Gaiman, like like at, right after he wrote the book or before that. Um, yeah, yeah, to tell he- us about that. He's so because I always knew that um, like I've been working on this film like forever and I wasn't sure quite how long. Apparently, Neil Gaiman gave an interview a while ago and he said that um, Henry Selleck had been his first choice um, while he was writing for an adaptation. Um, so he had him in mind. And um, Selleck had actually read the story like 18 months before the book illustrator for the original book even started working on the illustrations. So that puts, like, the entire concept from start to finish 
for a sale like, around like 10 years, you know, because the film came out in 2009, the book came out in 2002. Um, so if Silic had been looking at it for like 18 months prior to it being released, like, yeah, that's, that's a really, really long time to be working on one project, even though obviously they weren't in production the whole time. But even if he was just like writing the adaptation screenplay for like four or five years, that's really, really a lot of commitment. Yeah. And I think that definitely shows because even though we've like pointed all these things that don't quite translate, I think the best for the film like there's so much that does the vast majority is so similar and that that does take a lot of dedication because you see you see a lot of adaptations that just like you're like did, did the director even like like read the book like what is this you know like it's completely different and sometimes that can be really good but i think in this case like that dedication was really really solidly done and clearly he had a lot of respect um and appreciation for the story yeah, yeah. Do you, what any notable aspects of his direction? I think it's maybe hard to see. Um, this is. I feel like stop motion films more than a lot of things are like such uh, giant works with so many people involved, right? Uh, anything stand out with Henry Selick's influence specifically? Uh, well, I mean, I remember that scene at the very beginning when like the doll like floats in and they. That scene's so creepy. It's so great. It's such a. It's like this is what the tone of the movie is going to be. It's yeah. going to be creepy, but also kind of charming and whimsical and just the. Uh. And that scene where um, she's the other mother's hands are like prying open the the buttons from the eyes, and she like cuts open the mouth, and she pulls out the stuffing. And you just have this like husk of a doll. That reminded me a lot of Nightmare Before Elm Street, like the kind of. The, I don't remember the name of the character, Jack Skellington's, like, kind of love interest, who's, like, a lady who's, like, sewn together. It looked a lot like her, and I think in that case, I was kind of like, okay, like, so this is definitely the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have as much experience with his films, but definitely, definitely seems stylistically towards, like, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, really seems in line with that. Let's, let's go through uh more let's go rapid fire through some characters we even talked about okay. uh to make sure we hit on hit on a lot of stuff um we we mentioned uh yb and uh how he's like a movie specific character you said you were like more sympathetic to yb <laughs> this time around well what, yeah is that? well i think at first it's kind of like who is this character like why is he in the movie he's not in the book like what what does he serve except like comic relief and the second time around i had a lot more sympathy because it's like i, I can't quite like I don't think his grandma's, like, not a good grandma, but she definitely, like, she, he's always, like, a little afraid of her, you know, when, um, she calls him, and, um, he's, he's kept away from the house, and that's one of the things I think, um, the movie was really conscious about expanding on, because they're like, oh, well, if kids keep disappearing in this house, like, why is nobody, like, doing anything about it? You know, this is a recurring problem, and in the movie... Like, um, YB's grandmother is, like, the landlady at the property. And YB has that line where he's like, well, you know, I'm surprised that my grandma let you move in here. She usually doesn't rent to people with kids, which seems to imply that she, she like, knew it was a problem. And yeah. you find out later that her um, lost sister had disappeared under similar circumstances. So she has, like, a real reason for trying to keep Do we ever get resolution as there. to why she let Coraline, like, in that house? No, we don't. Yeah. It's kind of because they include that line, but then it's like, but she did so guess 
maybe it's because like um Coraline was the first she'd let in since she like owned it and it'd been like enough time had passed that so she's like okay well maybe nothing weird will happen this time but yeah you don't get any like real reason why she also had the Coraline doll too like I feel like she could have yeah, she could have so, pieced it together and be like this is not cool. I was so I was wondering because like if YB had seen that doll for years like the minute he saw Coraline wouldn't he be like super weirded out yeah like, like, why do you look like, you know, but he's just like, oh, weird coincidence, found the stall in the attic, like, here you go. Yeah, that's one of those things that's a little confusing in the movie, but I can, like, I can see they were well-intentioned. And so there's I'm a lot not... of, there's a lot of potholes like that. Let, let's <laughs> add that to my list of complaints. Um, what about uh, John Hodgman as the, the father? Uh, not as I much, like... not as much to do as, as the, the mother figure. He doesn't, he, he has even less in the book, though, so at least they made him kind of, like, a musician-y type. Well, oh. the other father is, and he he's like a writer. I love seeing his like archaic old computer because that reminded me a lot of like my parents' computers when <laughs> I was a kid. And like when she turns out the power and he just like loses everything, it's like, oh man, that's it's too real. Because I'm assuming, yeah, it takes place in the early 2000s. So that would make sense that that's the kind of technology that, and like flip phones. So, but he, I like the father because, you know, like, and the mom, like, yeah, she's busy. The father's busy too, but like he, he has that really adorable kind of like song. He sings her that like when they're having dinner that she repeats later at the end of the film. And he, he has that cute moment with her when they're, um, when the mom drops him off at, um, the office before she and Coraline go shopping and he like, kind of like gives her a noogie and she's like, dad, like, I'm not a kid anymore. Like, gosh. Yeah. I'm such like a like yeah like what kid like wouldn't feel that way if their dad was like playing with, around with them when they're like 11 years old. Yeah, another another big uh, visual uh, standout scene to me was uh, like the the other father like the, the piano plays me. Oh you know? yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and they because I was looking at him like why does this look so interesting? Because when he's playing like you go around the room, um, and so I'm guessing they stuck a camera on like a. Uh, a revolving platform that they had him playing the the piano on and then just like shot every frame from that perspective but it gives a really nice sense of like 3d and um of the space because you see the whole room just from where that camera is and that was really well done the the hands are so because like it's one of those things like a lot of the movie things like where it's like kind of funny and like curious in the beginning and then just becomes like really uncomfortable at the end when it's like literally forcing him to attack her and like controlling yeah, him like yeah. a puppet yeah that's yeah that's that yeah i think that's one of the ones i think i think of most looking back on the film um oh by the way are we are we shipping uh uh Coraline and yby why why line corby uh corby uh, <laughs> why corby see we don't, I don't this movie like i don't even think there are ship names for like right. ships in this movie uh, there's Maybe. no there's no tag there's on tumblr place. corby oh my god corby are i guess sh- that would are be you, the are you shipping thing. it absolutely not i mean what do you mean absolutely not because Coraline's not very nice to YB. Like, um, she's always, like, punching him. And, like, he's he is, like, kind of weird. But, like, again, like, his grandma, like, doesn't let him around the Pink Palace where all the residents are. And, like, there haven't been any kids there till Coraline. So, like, he hasn't had a lot of people, like, around him, I feel. And he's pretty isolated. So I think that might account for a lot of his kind of quirkiness. And Coraline's a little weird, too. So, like... Whenever she kind of, like, gets mad at him for being, like, creepy, it's like, well, Coraline, like, you're not the most normal, like, and that's great about her, but it's, like, kind of being a hypocrite. And, like, just the whole, that whole part when um you you see the other YB 
And um, he can't talk. And the other mother's like, I thought you'd like him better if he didn't talk. So I fixed him. Yeah. It's like, that's so creepy. Like, you know, and at the end when he, when the other YB's even feeling bad. So she like clips his lips into this like grotesque smile um, because she thinks that's what Coraline wants. It's so messed up. I just feel so bad for Webby because of that. Because he's not a bad kid at all. His entrance was really interesting, I think. like Because the movie definitely took this shift from being being kind of dreamy when she first walks into the forest to like when you see him on the bike on the hill and it's all dark and the wind is blowing and he has this like skeleton mask on and he just like rides there. I'm like, who is this? And then it's just like this awkward kid. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag Corby. Um, do, do you ship it? This is what it is. I ship, to I ship nothing. Uh, <laughs> what about uh, Mr. Bobinski? Uh, definitely for me, like visually is the, the, big, yeah. the big part about him. I love, I love how these characters look. And I think some people have criticized Mr. Bobinski and Coraline's father is looking particularly hideous. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you're doing animation, like why not point. make memorable, yeah, memorable looking characters that like no one looks the same. Although I think Coraline definitely looks a lot like her mom. They're definitely distinct enough that they're not just like carbon copies of each other, which sometimes happens in like Disney movies, unfortunately. Um, but Mr. Bobinski is really cool. Like, um, I guess he's like, Russian, like the accent sounds kind of one Russian. Would I, yeah, I have no idea why he's the only one who's like blue. Everyone else is pretty normal skin tone. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. He's, he's, he's just, just like blue. blue. Yeah. That's unrealistic. <laughs> and I liked, I really liked um, when um, Coraline's when she sees the mass circus in the other world. Just that whole sequence was so gorgeous. Yeah, really and like it's. Again, that's one of the ones you're just like, how did they do? How did they choreograph jumping stop motion mice when there are like 50 of them? Yeah. Like, you know, it's just it blows your mind. It, and it still holds up. It's one of those things. Like, it's so well done. that Like, it doesn't look any worse now than it did in 2009. It just looks really, really good. I think this film overall visually holds up very well. I mean, yeah. it's only been six years, but yeah. True. It, it, I think I think this movie could come out now and it'd be I wouldn't question it. Um. The cat, uh, I already talked about how the cat makes no sense. Um, I like, well, I like that the, character. He, the thing about the cat, I think, is he's like the biggest because there, there have been a lot of comparisons between Coraline being a lot like Alice in Wonderland, and I think, um, all the scenes with Coraline and the cat are a lot like the scenes with Alice and the Cheshire Cat and the kind of way he talks, you know, where he's not quite answering your question, he's being a little aloof and mysterious. But I really, I really liked that, and he. I don't know. I, I always like it when um if people write about cats and they always make them very kind of like full of themselves where they think they're like better than humans and that they're like so much wiser and smarter, you know? Yeah. And he does help her. I mean, I think those are one of the relationships where like they start off pretty opposed. Like I, I, when she first meets YB and the cat, she calls the cat a wusspuss. And by the end, he's he's helping her escape and he's giving her all these clues um, about how to defeat the Beldam since the Beldam doesn't like him since he can he can kill her her rat spies and he can somehow like go between worlds. The worlds thing I think kind of confused me more this time around. I never really thought about it as much, but I do think it's one of those things. It's like when you really think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I did like that he was basically the same but could talk. To Coraline in the other world it just yeah. like makes the other world one of those places where it's like well what are the rules you don't quite know but clearly like they're different and that's kind of a nice idea to play with 
yeah i i don't think the world's thing makes sense but uh it it does yeah i don't i don't care right um i I like the cat uh i think if you think anything about the character more than (laughs) surface level he doesn't make any sense but it's okay um let's close it out with the the i don't know if they're sisters but the oh no they're not the friends uh, yeah spink and uh forcible i I feel like these are the weirdest characters kind of (laughs) that the ones the scene in the other world when she's in like uh forcible yeah that that, bikini question mark right yeah and then that that was really weird a lot of people uh especially people that are over the age of like 25 seem like kind of offended um that Miss Forcible was like in pasties and mostly like naked. Um, but like honestly, I, I just like obviously like Leica has never been like the most like they're not afraid to push boundaries, I guess, you know. Like which is why I think they they do creepy so well, because they're they're willing to push it a little farther than I think we're used to like thinking kids can handle or that like is safe for children. Um, which is part of what makes it like so appealing to people of all ages, you know, it's really, it's not like a kid film, it's like a family film. And I think the rules for that are a bit different. And um, Mystique and Miss Forcible. So one thing I found out, so the movie takes place in Oregon and the town takes place and has like a very well-known Shakespeare festival, which is why when they go, when Coraline and the mom go downtown and, um, and you have like those kids that are like quoting Hamlet, it's not completely out of, the place. Leica is also, I think the studio's based in Oregon, so they had like kind of a personal connection to that kind of um, history with the town, the fact that the Shakespeare Festival was such a big thing in Oregon, um, which is kind of just like a nice tidbit for people who live there, I'm sure, to have like places that they actually know seen in the movie. But um, so that's interesting because like both um miss speaking forcible were old actresses and um neil gaiman confirmed i don't know a couple of years ago on like twitter that um they are actually a couple um and it's one of those really? things that like it doesn't add anything to the movie but when you you're like oh well that's why they've been like together for like 20 plus years <laughs> like it's not just uh like living of convenience they're like actually together that's interesting okay that makes me like like that like, those characters i feel like are pretty unsubstantial but when you add that in i feel like it's like <laughs> much better <laughs> oh well now that you said yeah i mean they're i i don't quite because like they're they're kind of competitive you know like they're always like uh, when they're like reading Coraline's tea leaves um this spink is like oh it's danger yeah and it's they do, they like, do that no, thing like twice yeah like, yeah and like when they're singing in that crazy um um, other world sequence um, like too, interrupting yeah. each other mm-hmm. yeah but that was that was really cool and again like when they're um doing the flips in the air like on the trapeze and they like grab Coraline and flip her through the air like I don't remember what it felt like seeing that on the big screen but I imagine it was really really stunning mm-hmm. and and just like again like if you're gonna make a movie like make it a movie you know like make it a cinematic and interesting and take advantage of that 3d space as much as you can and maybe the fact that like a producers in 3d made them more conscious of all those like camera angles and stuff but for whatever reason it definitely helped and it made it way more interesting than just like you know Mm -hmm. character looks to the side and everything's super flat like that's one of the things that always bothered me about like Family Guy episodes because they're so they're so <laughs> flat. There's, there's no substance, you know. Like it's, it's like why is this even animation? 
Asian. Like they don't move that much. Like their their backgrounds aren't very interesting. Like it's so you know. Okay, second podcast in a row talking about Family Guy. So that's interesting. Oh really? Yeah. Um, let's let's close this one out by discussing in classic Dylan fashion, discussing the 2009 Best Animated Feature Oscar race, which was here. Was a crazy year. Let me. So- Good film. Yeah, let me give you the nominees. We had Up, Coraline, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Princess and the Frog, and Secret of the Kells. Um, I would contend that this is by far the strongest uh, category in the best animated feature race. It only started in 2001, but like I, I think like second places are 2015, the year we just had. Um, but I've seen all five of these films. What? How many have you seen of the ones mentioned? Uh, I think I've, yeah, I've seen all of them. All of them? Yeah. I just, and I think all of those are like great films. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Um, I, I would say, I feel like for me, Fantastic Mr. Fox is like number five. Um, I don't know. I did't, I'm not a big Wes Anderson fan at all. I'm so a big, I'm a Wes Anderson fan, but I think that movie was not as strong as these other ones. I think it was still very good. And then like, I feel like Princess and the Frog is maybe number four. Um, yeah. I really liked that one, but I think, I feel like compared to Up Coraline and Secret of the Kells, and then like between those three, those are three incredible films. What do you favor yeah, Se- between those Secret three? Secret of Kells is so, it's, 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 I think like Coraline, it's one of those movies that's so much its own thing. It kind of defies your normal expectation of like plot structure. Yeah, to me, Secret of the Kells is, of is very similar to Coraline. They're both very experiential and plot, mm-hmm. plot light films. And for that reason, it's hard to say one's better than the other because they're very much their own thing, but I do, I do think both of them are like super top quality movies so if either of them had won it would have been just as happy and then, then up one and like up is such a weird film too it's like has, yeah it's, up is kind of weird and like has ten, like the best 10 minute opening in like film history and that's and, the thing though the opening's so good and the rest is kind of like cannot live up to that so. i also think the rest is like also oh. very good but um yeah hmm. uh, i i think in this i think i probably favor secret of the kills over the in these three but like all three of these are like top-notch films yeah, that was a that was a good year. Yeah, so the, it's just I don't know. I feel like I feel like in another year, Coraline definitely wins uh, this category. Like in 2011, 2012, um, Pixar had like, a real winning streak, especially it did, yeah. at that. Point, I so. think any year between 2011 and 2014, um, I think Coraline would have won. Maybe even over Frozen. Not sure. Uh, Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I think Coraline's a better film than Frozen. I yeah, I, I actually really like Frozen. Like, I think that's, I'm not saying that lightly, lightly. Like, I think Frozen's, like, <laughs> genuinely a good film, and I also think Coraline's genuinely a good film. But, um, yeah, maybe there's too much hype surrounding Frozen, right? Uh, so, I don't know. I just, I think that was really interesting, looking at the 2009 race. Like, those, that's, like, that's some great films. And I also, I want to talk about, like, every other one of those films at some point on this podcast, especially oh, Secret of the Kills. <laughs> like, yes. And Song of the Sea, I have not seen. I have not seen Song of the Sea. I'm and, very And I want to see that, because the Secret of the Kills is so good. Okay, any final thoughts on Coraline to close us out here final thing I think would be um because I I was trying to pay a lot more attention to how the film looked this time around and one thing I think I really appreciated was that um because uh the real world you know and this is kind of like a personification of like you know Coraline's super bored because her parents are so busy um like lots of gray tones um it's very like misty and kind of serene um but the music is so nice you know and, and this is one thing we haven't talked about the soundtrack is actually like i think phenomenal yeah, in this I agree. Movie. it's so captivating and it's the most kind of dreamlike and like upbeat in the real world and it's like kind of more subtly kind of mystifying and a little sinister in the other world which is really interesting because in the other world the colors are like so like big 
and um the and it's so bright and like the pink palace just looks so incredible in the other world compared to the real world even to a point where i think like the like its pinkness makes it somehow like more 3d than um the gray tones in the real world because it makes it like kind of flat looking in comparison and then when we first see Coraline she she immediately stands out you know because she's in all like primary colors and against like this very like gray and white background so like we're immediately drawn to how she looks and the fact that she is making her even like because her parents are also in like her mom's usually wearing like um a white turtleneck and she has like these bags in her eyes and her dad's like in various gray and green tones so she really is the the standout looking character in that like very bleak looking world but the fact that the the soundtrack is so peppy kind of contrast because like that's i think one of those hints that like even if like the real world seems boring like this is where like the life is you know and the vibrancy, even if it's, like, something Coraline hasn't been able to realize yet for herself. Um, the music's so good. Yeah, I, um, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. We should have mentioned that earlier. The music definitely great. Uh, yeah, other other things. That was, yeah, there a lot of a lot of topics there. We could go into more detail, but we have to, uh, to close <laughs> it out here. Um, uh, yeah, overall, yeah, I think Coraline, if you haven't watched in a while, worth, definitely worth revisiting. And... Uh, I think this is, uh, I feel like Coraline is going to stand out looking back on like the cream of the crop from this kind of, kind of time period in terms of mm-hmm. animated films. Like I, I think it's like definitely distinct and, and, uh, that's also why it's like functions as, as kind of, uh, maybe even a great film. I, I think I'd characterize it as a great film. I think I always, I look at the film as being like, not so much an adaptation of the book is like kind of its own thing. Um, because it is, like, because it, it was in development for so long. And, like, if Selleck had been making us, like, starting a screenplay while, like, it was, the book was still being published, like, I do think that gives it kind of a right as its own, like, entity in a way. Because um, if those two things were going on kind of simultaneously, it makes sense that having this be less of an adaptation and more of just, like, transforming the work into something completely new while also, like, tying very closely to the main concepts um and character arcs i think is something i i might argue for in terms of looking at the film nice yeah i think it's i think it's worth treating any any of these kind of adaptations as their own thing for in terms of critical lens um and some some are more unique than others and i think this would be one of them for sure mm-hmm. cool so uh let us know what you thought of any of our discussion here um, leave comments on YouTube, on uh, overly, overlyanimated.com in the comments section, or send us Tumblr asks. Uh, I'm Dylan Heisen. That's Michelle Ander. You can find all of our social media links and everything about this podcast at overlyanimated.com. Um, this ad-free podcast is brought to you by our patrons. You can support us at patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thanks to our patrons. Shayna, Mitch, Cordell, Beatriz, Nate, Andy, Jamie, Rachel, John, Ryan, and Catherine, aka Haina, Fever, Mitch, Cordell, University, Beatrix, James, Nathan, Fillion, Buzz, Like Your Mailman, Rachel Rose, Johnny Bravo, Brian, and Cookie Cap. Uh, looks like we're going to get into the other two Leica films at some point on the podcast. Um, yes. I had this watching Courtland made me want to watch them even more for some reason. You will love Paranorman if you like if you love Courtland. I can definitely guarantee that. Okay, yeah, I'm, it's, it's absolutely it's a great. Film. I assume so I will good. like both of them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, was, I think I was looking at them briefly. Uh, 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 the Box Trolls cast looked great, too. So um, definitely all will we'll be 
getting into those films as well and overly animated and let us know if uh, there's other fil- animated films you want us to cover. Hopefully we'll get into everything at some point. And uh, yeah. Everyone who hasn't read Coraline, please do. It's a quick read. It's absolutely solid book. It's one of my favorite Neil Gaiman books. And I think it, it definitely holds up too as a classic book. Uh, I Neil Gaiman's American Gods is getting um, is getting uh, ad- adapted now too. Oh really? I yeah. heard the Graveyard book might also. There's and then there's like Sandman was also. Yeah, yeah, the graphic. I think American Gods is coming first though, so to TV. So that's gonna be interesting. I really like that book. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it for this week's podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.